Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Sea Fever, John Macefield. I must go down to the seas again, to the lonely sea and the sky, and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. And the wheels kick, and the wind's song, and the white sails shaking, and a grey mist on the sea's face, and a grey dawn breaking. I must go down to the seas again, for the call of the running tide is a wild call and a clear call that may not be denied. And all I ask is a windy day with the white clouds flying and the flung spray and the blown spume and the seagulls crying. I must go down to the seas again, to the vagrant gypsy life to the gull's way and the whale's way where the wind's like a wetted knife. And all I ask is a merry yarn from a laughing fellow rover and quiet sleep and a sweet dream when the long trick's over. So that was Sea Fever by John Macefield, read by Barney Bardsley. You're listening to East Leeds FM, Love the Words, from Chapel FM Art Centre. And the music we heard at the very beginning was Breath by Chris Benstead. And we're going to be hearing the whole piece a bit, a bit later on. But first of all, we've got some lovely poets and readers uh, and writers here in Studio One, led by Barney Bardsley of Wordplay. So, Barney, first of all, welcome again. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here again. And welcome to the other readers. You're going to be introducing them in a minute. But first of all, tell us about Wordplay. Wordplay was something that came up during the pandemic because none of us could meet uh, face to face. Um, and I do a lot of work at Leeds Playhouse. And of course, that was completely dark. Um, and so I devised something on Zoom, which is a day's workshop in which we would meet on Zoom. I would have a theme and I would have various stimuli for people 
may be a poem such as the sea fever poem, a piece of music, some artwork, to just get people going. And then give them maybe two or three writing challenges, leave them alone the whole day, and then they would come back in the evening and read on Zoom what they produced. And after that, we'd make an anthology of the pieces that were written. And we're going to hear the anthology today. It's a lovely idea. It's a great way of doing it. And um, and you're still doing that, despite it being a pandemic kind of idea, but you're still following that that. that there's pattern. an appetite, yes. Mm. There seems to be an appetite for it. I thought it would fade away as we started meeting in person again, but that's not the case. Uh, people still like it. Yeah, they can, re- they can write it... Uh, in their own homes, I guess. It's a different space, experience. Yeah. I don't know if my two fellow writers here, either side of me, it's a different experience to sitting in person with people and having to write on the spot, mm. which is a different kind of pressure, mm. I think. What do you think? This is Mally to my left. Uh, I think it is, and I know that I need time to think about it, and the day's workshop gives me that as well as sort of wandering off and having a coffee when I feel like it as well. But that's the sort of um, time period that suits me. So it's been a wonderful experience. How about you, Tim? Well, I find I very much enjoy writing, but day to day I don't have the discipline to actually do any. So having wordplay where I can stay in my own home and have the structure to get some done really works well. And like Mally, it takes me time for thoughts to mature and come out. Um, mm. You also come to the writing group here, though. In fact, tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so you obviously do like writing in other places that aren't your own home. You it's, can do that. It, it is a very different experience coming to a specific place to write in a specific set time because it's much more intense. There's much more pressure to get something done. Whereas on wordplay the ideas can evolve themselves and they come out in their own time. Well, it's great to have you back because you've been a few times uh, now on For Love the Words and I think the previous theme that you'd been working on was blue, the colour blue and looking at that. That was a really fascinating uh, group of writings. And this time, well, tell us what the theme is and how you worked with that theme and what the source was for it. So the theme for this was The Song of the Sea, Um, I'm personally very fascinated by the sea and have a deep kind of visceral need to to be by the sea as often as possible. Um, And it seems a very good creative stimulus because everybody has some kind of relationship to the sea. Um, And as transpired through, through the day and through the writings that came out of the day, People have very different responses, actually, to the sea, as we'll hear during the discussion, that some people very frightened of it and some people absolutely kind of seduced by it and love it. Um, and so I thought I was onto a fairly safe thing uh, by choosing the sea and also a personal love for it. So, you know, I was personally very invested with it. Uh, so I dug around and I do love the John Macefield poem, Um, the sea fever poem that we heard at the beginning because it it gives some of the energy of the sea and that compulsion and that sense of just a bit wild. We can't, we never quite know what the sea is going to do. 
um, and you know, as landlubbers and in a fairly temperate climate, we don't really get that anywhere else. So the sea is a kind of just a sort of tricky mistress, really. That I really like that about the sea. Um, so that particular poem was was a, a key thing. And then I had a look at some paintings and there's a beautiful painting by Caspar David Friedrich called The Monk by the Sea, which is a very dark, it's, it's, it's very sort of atonal and it's just this very lonely figure on the beach in a storm and it's dark and it gives some of that sense of the loneliness of the sea. And then on the other hand, there was um, uh, The Ninth Wave by Azvazovsky, a Russian painter. And that was a, a, that was a boat in the wild sea. So absolute kind of temp tempest. So the two different moods. And we played very much through the writing with the different moods of the sea. The very calm, the very contemplative, which is Chris's music, suggests that. A very quiet sea. And then the storms. So just speaks to humanity as well doesn't it all the different emotions that the sea um mm. evokes absolutely so let's yeah let's talk about the sea a bit then because it's quite interesting mally was uh, the other night uh, one of the readers in the readathon our overnight read and we were reading a book called cold fish soup uh, by adam farrell which is about growing up in withensea on the east coast so that's and that's all about how the sea is eroding the land like a 10 feet 10 feet a year is extraordinary mm. so that that's a really interesting i felt a very sort of humorous but he talks about the, the, the north sea in a very unromantic way just need money do you remember he had a fascination with the sea as well he had this love-hate relationship with it that drew him in um to the point of feeling that he was going to drown himself but other things kept him away but his, his um, uh, writing about the sea was absolutely inspired and magnetic. But he had this relationship with the sea, which to some extent is what I have, because I, I don't find, I find it frightening. And yet I am attracted to it. But I am always anxious when I'm near the sea. I know the origins of that. I know why I'm like that. And I know that I can control my anxiety. But going to the sea, and I, I, I do swim in the sea, but I'm always conscious that something's going to take me in the sea. So I have this feeling about the sea, which I could identify with Adam. Mm. Go on, Barney. It's just the story that you told me, Mally, early, earlier. Which which explains exactly why you have that feeling about the sea. Yeah, I, I, when I was seven and we lived in Aden, uh, we were swimming in unnetted waters, which was never, ever, um, you're not supposed to do in Aden because there's a very risk from sharks. And a lady on the beach, the shark had come into very shallow waters and it dragged her into the water. I was seven years old and I remember the blood and I, I, I mean, they did rescue her and she did survive, but it was a horrific um, picture. But it also was at a time, a very bad time in my, my life with my family. There were certain tragedies and upset and that's, I'm sure, is the origin of my fear of the sea or 
respect maybe for it. I don't know what it is. I have a fascination for it, but I'm also very nervous when I'm near the sea. Um, so that's the origin of that. Thank you. Yeah, Tim, what about you? Well, the sea for me was um, was my time as a young child on family holidays in Wales and, and Cornwall. So the sea was a place of of fun, of excitement, but always been told by my parents not to go too far out, always been told about the undertow. So I always had a, he- a healthy respect for the sea. Mm. So I'm always attracted to it. I always like to go to the seaside once a year. Um, but I, I also keep my distance. Yeah. I've be- also been on a boat sailing in a beautiful blue sky with a beautiful blue sea. And then the, 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 the weather's turned mm. yeah. in a few minutes and the sky's gone grey and the sea's gone grey and became very frightening. Yeah, I've been in exactly that position and not in control of the boat. I wouldn't know how yeah. to control the boat, but it's now I was with my cousin who was a complete daredevil and he just wanted to go further out to sea and water was coming in. It was terrifying. Uh, what about you, Barney? I do love the sea. I like walking beside it. I'm a terrible sailor, so I get seasick almost the minute I step onto a boat. So, I, you know, I definitely am not a good sailor. I like looking at and being with the sea. And I, it, it's very interesting. that I, well, Certainly the older I've got, I don't know if this is true when I was younger, but it's the sea that I need if I'm in a big trouble. So I broke my shoulder a few years ago and I, I could feel myself sinking into this depression. And it was partly a, a, you know, a very physical depression. I know you can't sort of split the two, but my mind was very cloudy. And I, thought, I really am sinking here and I don't know what to do about it. And then I realised I've got to get to the sea. Somehow I've got to get to the sea. And so I did. And I actually went to Robin Hood's Bay. I found this little place to stay in Robin Hood's Bay. And it was the maddest place to be because I had just one operative arm. Hmm. Robin Hood's Bay is exceptionally steep. And it was pouring with rain and very stormy the day that I got there. And I'd got a case as well. So I thought, I'm going to break the other arm. I'm not going to actually make it. So there was jeopardy. (laughs) <laughs> immediately there was jeopardy but it did the trick it, it blew away the depression because there's something about the sea that's bigger than all of us and that somehow washes your brain clean that's what it does for me it just washes my brain clean because I never stop thinking but if I'm by the sea there's this sort of rhythmical suck and draw of the sea that I find just very, very calming, even if it's a wild sea. I've, I, I find that also calming, strangely. Yes, I, I know what you mean. And I, 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 I used to go down to Cornwall as a as kids. And recently it was a very windy day and I thought, where do I want to be? I want to be in Cornwall on a rock. Not too close, but I want to be, in a, you know, I'm seeing that those waves breaking on the rocks and the spray and feeling it splashing against you that's where I wanted to be my grandfather in the 30s bought a patch of land and built a house which he called the Gull's Way as in from the Jane, oh. from the John Macefield poem and I, in fact it's only when I got to know the poem that I realised that's where it came from and he, had, he sold it when the, his daughter died at the age of 18 he couldn't bear it anymore oh. it's a sad story actually Otherwise, it'd be worth a fortune, I can tell you. <laughs> um, anyway, 
We're going to hear Chris's piece again now. Um, and we're going to hear the entirety of it this time. Um, it's five minutes. It's called Breath. Was it written specially for you, Barney? It wasn't. And I said to him, either would you like to compose something if you have the time? And of course, he's a very busy man, so he never does. Um, or if there's anything that you feel that you've already composed that speaks to this theme, then. And he suggested this one, and I immediately loved it. So. Let's hear the music, and then we're going to hear some uh, pieces of writing that you've been working on uh, in wordplay. Chris Benstead, Breath.
So that was Breath, composed by Chris Benstead. And I've worked with Chris Benstead at the Performance Ensemble. He composed for, for four of the shows at Performance Ensemble, which is Leeds-based. Uh, he's been a composer for 40 years in dance and theatre and film. Um, very clever man. And he's currently composing an orchestral score for a two-act ballet in Germany, Matahari in Germany, which will, goes up this spring. Chris has also contributed uh, to the readings that we're about to do. Uh, and here's a list of the writers who've contributed. So in the order that you will hear the pieces. So it's Joan Bosomworth, Tamara McClaug, Madeline Andrews, Tim Bending, Anne <coughs> Coates, Gail Mosley, Margaret Bending, Chris Benstead, Mally Harvey and Margaret Halsey. And my two readers are Tim Bending and Mally Harvey. The Water's Edge Dark, ominous clouds hang low over the beach. A storm brewing. No blue sea today. Just dark, steely grey, with white surf horses being driven onto the shore. Bringing with them great strands of seaweed, mingled with the debris of yesterday's picnics and discarded fishing gear, which seagulls pick at, looking for scraps of food. The scent of ozone fills my nostrils as sea spray envelops me, cold and damp. The tide pushes ever onwards, driven by the strong winds, drowning out all sounds, even the raucous screeching of the seagulls overhead. A timeless scene, repeated twice daily since time began, but never the same. Sea. Bruised feet, sinking in sand, as salt waters wash away grains of gritty shingles. Echoes of music from rolling waves reach her hidden heart. Moonbeams kiss the treacherous sea through thunderous clouds. Sprays of oceans formed billions of years ago, whip-lashing against icy flesh. Swaying at the edge of the expansive pearl-grey waters as pebbles slide back and forth with the moving tide. Eyes closed, floating adrift upon white foam to a place she once called home to where the sun caressed crystal turquoise blue seas against her naked flesh. Feet warmed on balmy nights in tranquil glassy pools amongst rocks where mermaids once sat with secrets untold. Memories dissolve with sounds of crashing waves, a solitary figure retreating, her footprints ebb away and blend with the shore, vanishing as the woman she once was becomes extinct. I am the sea. I am the deep, the mystery of all things, the waters from creation, from which dry land appears. I am a nurturing habitat for beauty, wonder, for fish and sea mammals. 
for all creatures that live by my rhythms. Offering life and purpose, threat and loss. I give food and opportunity for corals, plants and living species that need my hospitality. I am the gift, the power that yet is helpless in the face of human depredation. Here on the windswept shore of Africa, a castle with cannon threatening me. Here from dehumanising dungeons set forth ships packed with slaves towards dis distant shores. And here am I, complicit in these crimes. I, the all-powerful sea, am helpless to prevent the evil aims of human minds, the acts of blind strategy. They thirst for water, the wretched souls below, mere cargo to be sold, but now cast overboard, not deserving of a future. I receive you, I enfold you, but I cannot give you life, my salty depths, your tears, all is grief. See Duet I jump to your arms from Golden Gate Bridge, your enfolding embrace, a life I can't face. I redeem the world with all my courage. Mother of all, I return to you now. Accept my body, let me be free. There is really no choice, this I avow. You've been the dark void throughout my life. In you I have swum when troubles have come. Please support me now, help me end this strife. Child, know this, keep it deep in your heart. Those who survive are much happier alive. Though it pains me so, I fear we should part. So now go forth and get on with your days. Let your limbs heal and let your heart feel mortals' tears and the life that they praise. At the water's edge. I have waited for this day for weeks. A day to bring a muddled, confused and weary head to a mighty shore. To savour once more the permanence, the clarity, both the power and the gentleness of the sea. I stand and wait, wait to feel the clean wind, salt tasting, blowing directly into my brain. Slowly but surely clearing the fog. As I gaze out to the far distant horizon, not knowing nor worrying of what lies beyond, I feel my breath slowly deepening, my muscles relaxing. The anxieties, the concerns that brought me to this place begin to shrink, to fade. The continuous rhythm of ebb and flow, ebb and flow, bring me peace, peace and memories of other days of other healing seas. Me as a child jumping over the waves as they wriggled in the shore, of having fun catching a big rolling breaker and imagining that I am actually surfing. Finding peace floating on my back, barely moving, and with only blue sky in view or feeling tiny bright turquoise fishes tickling my toes as I paddle in the shallows of the Pacific walking beside a great ray as it lazily flaps its horizontal journey along the shoreline. 
the awesome experience of paddling where two oceans meet off the tip of South Africa, whale-watching in Kekuru, in awe of as the great creatures of this other unknown world rise up to slap their great tails at us, weak mortals in our clean little speedboats. What are we to know them? They know this wondrous element, their home far better than we do. I smile as I stand now on the shore of our little island, a dot in the North Sea, and I remember them. Rowing to Connors Island In the shadow of Ben Bulben, from money gold to Streedar Strand, fishermen brothers ferrying, each given an oar, Stevie and me, adventure-bound and eager, took our turn at rowing. No sense of unimagined depths, a shallow bay to cross that day, but a strong tide pulling. Taste of spray, the wind and rain, rise and fall of a speckled swell like a living body moving. Fiery muscles digging deep, we ploughed the surface, tricky bow waves slapping, till energy sapped, a second wind heaved us ashore, grounding on the pe pebble beach, the end of the strand, the edge of Connors Island. The Call of the Sea I walk along the thrift-strewn cliff, the ocean far below. Muted sounds of crashing waves, the tidal ebb and flow. I find the path so many feet have trod before this day and hasten down towards the strand along the rocky way. I stand upon the wave-swept shore and listen to its call, the endless swish and murmur that can hold me in its thrall. As in the waves come reaching, come tugging at my feet, I see you in my memory, you who made my life complete. I sit upon the spray-drenched rocks, the sun upon my face. At last my heart grows calmer. I've found this special place, this place that I have longed for, where we'd sat so long ago, and listened to that timeless song entwined in lover's glow. I sail upon the endless sea which whispers by my side. I feel that it is calling and it will not be denied. I slide into its tender care. I'm held in its embrace. I hear it sweetly singing as to you I finally race. At the water's edge. At the water's edge, faith, hope and charity. Faith strips off. No pause for reflection, no fear, no hesitation, plunges straight in, swims, ducks, dives, turns, back paddles, turns, dives, swims, swims, is exhilarated. Meanwhile, back at the water's edge, Hope paddles, rolls up her trouser legs, goes knee-deep, bends and dips a hand in the foam, splashes water on her face, Shivers, paddles back to the sand, watches Faith, envious, hesitates, mutters words of reassurance to herself and, in a hurry now, lest she should lose herself, that is, lose hope, lose where she is, her courage, herself, 
strips down and wades out, gingerly, nervous of the unknown unseen beneath her feet. Deeper, waist high now, arms aloft, counts one, two, three, and then flops down, gasps, takes a few frantic strokes, rolls over, spreads her arms, embraces the wide, wide sky, and gives herself to the gently rolling rhythm of the waves, floating, floating. I am who I am. I am who I am. Meanwhile, back at the water's edge, Charity spreads out a blanket, takes out a thermos flask, three mugs, some chocolate biscuits, a well-thumbed copy of a letter to my daughter, and waits. The sea, the storm, a thunderous roar as gunmetal grey waves hit the sand, foaming and boiling in fury they assault the land, screaming in anger, snatching stones in retreating, spitting fine mists they summer energy before repeating. The calm. Through red clover, trefoil and yarrow cresting the rise, a wide-arching macca-fringed bay under blue skies, cups as azure seas lapping gently on a yellow shore, a gentle susuration establishes an hypnotic rapport. The sea. The sea in all its powerful and beautiful majesty is unpredictable and frightening in its duplicity, the joy it gives is a generous reality. The lives it takes is a said depravity. Bony digits in rock pools, evidence of mortality. Always a reminder of its fearful capacity. Songs of the Sea Sometimes the sea sings gently, lifting my spirits as I watch. The lapping of shallow waves on a long, flat, sandy shoreline. Sometimes the sea sings fiercely, challenging my self-absorption while the wild rage of water crashes down on stones and rocks. Sometimes the sea sings sadly, awakening my fear of death when swirling dangerous tides drown humans in the water's depths. Sometimes the sea sings for joy, reminding me of coral reefs teeming with life and beauty at the bottom of vast oceans. So, that was Wordplay, reading Song of the Sea, a series of, writing that, of writings that they've been doing with Barney Bardsley, the writer... Um, and that was lovely. Thank you very much to all you three readers. And sorry not to have Anne here because yeah. we're missing Anne Coates, yes. uh, who's uh, not around. But but yeah, it was fantastic, lovely pieces. So did you enjoy the? Did you, did you enjoy uh, reading first of all, Tim? Yes, 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 I did. Yeah, very much. Did you enjoy reading other people's writing? Yes, um, and getting their rhythm and their meaning. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Manny? Oh, I'm nervous as always. I can't help it. I, I try very hard not to be, but I am... And then I stumble over a word which I feel is not doing justice to the words that people have written. You hope you can say it as they want it said, but they're the people who wrote it. So when it's finished, I enjoy it, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you did very well, man. You're an old professional now. You've done lots of stuff. Well, it, it's the same every time. With the readathon on Saturday night, that first piece that I read, I felt as if I was chewing my words because I couldn't get them out. <laughs> But then I enjoyed it in the end. You should have heard us at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of chewing of words going on. No um, alcohol, though. No, no alcohol. I think it's actually quite interesting to read someone else's piece because it, it just brings a different, just brings something different to it. I think it's, it's yeah. I always like it hearing someone else read something I've written. Sometimes it's appalling and you think, oh, no, what have you done? You've mangled my words. But I, I do think it can bring an extra dimension. Yeah, definitely. So do you have plans for the next theme and the next meeting? There's always something lurking. <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is. How often do you do these poems? Um, they seem to be, like much of the work that I do, seasonal <laughs> So I think I'm quite a seasonal person, really. The movement work I do is very seasonal as well. So there will doubtless be something in the spring. This was a depth of winter thing, which is in itself interesting because I think there was, there's a kind of sonorous quality to those pieces that maybe reflects the time of year. It was the 7th of January when we met and everybody mm. was still half asleep, I think, from from uh, from the winter and from Christmas and New Year. So uh, definitely I think the seasons have uh, an effect on the way that we write. Obviously everything does. Um, mm. Yeah. But, um, and uh, I know that you, Mally, were very taken with uh, Madeline's poem, which is, you know... Well, I, th I think it epitomises the sea. Um, and on this occasion, she personified it as, as being the sea. But some of the words in there made me realise just how ravenous the sea has been over the years with people. And I particularly liked... Here on the windswept shore of Africa, a castle with cannon threatening me. Here from dehumanising dungeons set forth ships packed with slaves towards distant shores. And later in the same poem, of course, it, it tells us what exactly happens to that cargo, which is particularly resonant with the crossings of the Channel at present and the loss of life that that entails. People aiming for a better life and finding death in, in sea. So that particularly resonated with me because I think that that's, that's the sea. It takes what it wants. Yeah. But on this occasion, of course, they were jettisoned into the water. Mm. So yeah, It's very dark. But there was also something that I wanted to pick up um, from Tim as well because I know that Tim had a kind of middle of the night, you know, as writers so often do, kind of epiphany <laughs> um, for your poem, Tim, didn't you? And I wonder if you want to say something about that, the sea duet, which is... Well, when we approached the subjects of the sea, the first things that came to my mind were things that Maddie touched on in her poem. And, and in the last verse, she says, the sea in all its powerful and beautiful beautiful majesty is unpredictable and frightening in its duplicity. So it's got that two-sidedness to it. But also on the day, what I wanted to address is the idea of the sea more as the mother of life, the originator of life. 
and maybe psychologically as the element of chaos and femininity and the element that we all sometimes maybe in desperation want to return to but on the day on the afternoon in the time the words wouldn't come mm. I had it in there but the words wouldn't come so I ended up writing something that I've that I eventually threw away so I went to bed slightly disappointed uh, but woke up at three o'clock the next morning I was suddenly wide awake and I knew what to write I went downstairs, switched on the, on the computer and wrote two poems in 10, 15 minutes, of which this was one, uh, and then went back to bed. Job done. <laughs> first line. Say something about the first line. That's what fascinated me. The first line is, I jumped to your arms from Golden Gate Bridge. There was a time a few years ago when I was training to be a psychotherapist. And while doing that, what a subject that interested me was suicide. And there's a very good documentary I saw on people who have jumped from Golden Gate Bridge. And one of the key things it said in the documentary, which stuck in my mind, that of the people that do jump, they all jump on the side facing the ocean. There's one side faces the ocean, one side faces the city. They all face the ocean, which is to this idea of the ocean as a psychological home that we want to return to, the ultimate mother. And that's what I wanted to get across. But also, it was important to me to get across the idea that of those people that do jump and do survive, they are all 100% very glad that they did survive. Um, which I hope... Which comes, comes across. across in the poem, definitely. Yeah. Mm, yeah, thank you, Tim. And interesting in terms of the process of writing it, as you say, how uh, it would, somebody might say, oh, well, you wrote it instantly, but if you'd been brewing it, hadn't mm. you? Yeah, yeah. Sleeping on it, literally. Mm. Mm. Great. Well, thanks very much, all of you, and for your thoughts on the sea and also, uh, yeah, for your writings and readings. So I'm sure we'll have you back sometime when you next have yes, please. Uh, when you next have some writing on the go. Um, you've been listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM and Chapel FM. So we'd like to thank Henry for being on the desk and mm -hmm. also Henry's shadow for the day, who is Ellie, who is on the desk at the moment, looking very, very proficient, actually. I think you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll do it again. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week uh, on Tuesday at this exactly the same time, four o'clock. And plenty more to listen to after this. There's team music. So, um, team music. Yeah, got it right. Uh, they're waiting out there. I can see them getting ready in studio too, revving up for a very different kind of programme from the one we've had just, just had. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, and uh, we'll be back again. <laughs>